Well, we have been working through the letter of James. And as I told you from the very beginning, one of the things that we pull out of James is the fact that it's very practical. It's just practical faith. And a lot of the things that James addresses, a lot of the issues that he deals with, are things that all of us deal with in our lives. And sometimes you come to church and we go through a passage of scripture that seems philosophical or theological or theoretical out there. But a passage like this is one of those passages that comes right back to, okay, this is everyday living. This is how I'm to live and what I need to do. And, and today, we, we have to, to, even as we think about the context here of who James is writing to, I told you at the beginning that James, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, which in Jerusalem, the, the very first church, Jesus and all the disciples were Jews, and the very first church there in Jerusalem, where the church was born, they were primarily Jewish. And as they began to scatter, because as we study through history, we find out that, that a big persecution rose against the people that called themselves Christians in Jerusalem. And when that persecution started to rise, the people just left town. They scattered. Because it wasn't just, oh, they made fun of you on the street corner, that kind of persecution. Things got serious. In Acts chapter 8, we find out that Stephen was one of the believers that was literally murdered by a, a mob of people that were mad that he was a Christian. And so real persecution started coming to the church in Jerusalem. And so what the people did is they said, you know what, we got to get out of here. We know we're Christians. We want to continue to follow the Lord, but we can't deal with all this pressure. And so out of fear, in a lot of cases, they picked everything up and moved. They may have gone out to some of the surrounding regions and towns, maybe their hometown from where they originally were from before they came to Jerusalem, the big city. And so they all took off and, and to avoid uh, the persecution that was happening. Now, a traumatic experience like that would have deeply affected those people. But not only would it have been a situation that was all about fear, there's another emotion that kind of follows after fear, or sometimes it is in place of fear, which is anger. Not only were they afraid of what was going on, they were probably very angry about what was going on. Think about it. What happens if you go home from church today and you come up to your house, or your apartment, whatever, and the door's bashed in, you step inside and everything's gone. And you realize, okay, we got robbed. But you find out, well, yeah, you got robbed because you're a Christian. And they're taking all of your things and you're not getting them back you would not only be, oh my gosh, afraid that somebody's coming after you, but also angry. How could they do this? How did this happen? This is not okay. And so that, that was one of the other emotions that caused them to, to, to flee. How would you like to be run out? And anger is what James is going to address here today. Anger. So I won't ask, we got any angry people here today. <laughs> But that's what we're going to look at, all right? And so let's start by reading the first two verses that we're going to look at in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Here's what he says. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, when I was thinking about doing a message on anger, I thought, okay, how do you give a good 
personal life experience of anger that you can illustrate this with. And so I started going back through my life and thinking about angry moments. And right off the top, there's a few. You're like, okay, that's not appropriate for church. <laughs> we can't talk about those. <laughs> but then there's another couple that you're like, I'm not sure. And then I, then I landed on one. And I thought, okay, this will work. And this was one of those very angry moments, a road rage moment. But I kind of copped out a little because it wasn't even my road rage. <laughs> but I was involved in this and I saw what happened. All right, years ago, Aaron and I, lived in a little condo on the corner of the, basically the 805 freeway and Olympic Parkway, if you know that area. All right, and we lived in this little condo complex right there, a street away from the freeway. And what would happen at certain times, it's, it's probably worse now because millennia is built out and so many extra houses, so much more traffic on Olympic. But what used to happen even back then was um, when you would pull out of our condo complex, the street light that was right there, the, the traffic would get backed up so full that Sometimes the light would turn green and nobody would go. That kind of a thing. And then it continued to back up to the next little street because people were trying to get onto the 805 freeway over the bridge, either going north or south, right? And so it would get completely backed up. And there are certain times where you try to pull into that spot and you just can't go anywhere. And everybody stopped and it's full and it's packed. You know, you know what it's like, right? So one day, Aaron and I, and at this point, I don't even think Leighton was born. So it was the other two girls maybe. We were, we're in our car, we, we pull out, and we pull into this little parking space, basically, on the road, waiting for the lights to turn, and you're creeping forward, creeping forward. Well, as we've gone up a few spaces, we're almost up to the freeway, I see out of my side mirror this car kind of pulling along on the shoulder of the road, trying to wedge his way in. All right, and he pulls up kind of like to the rear of us, and he's not quite there, and he's, he's almost like on the sidewalk kind of thing, trying to get in. And he pulls up enough to me where I look back at the guy. I'm like, what is going on here? Like, if this guy's got a, a wife in the backseat having a baby, he missed the turn to a medical center to go to the hospital. You know what I mean? Like, what's going on? And, and this guy's just, he's white-knuckled on the steering wheel, and he's just mad. He's furious. He pulls up a little closer to, to me, but he still can't quite get around. There's nowhere to go. I'm dead stopped. He pulls up a little farther, and then he's like turning at me, like yelling. He's like angry. And I'm thinking, okay. I, I, there's, I haven't like cut the guy off. I haven't done anything. I don't recognize the guy. I don't know what's going on here. I'm just sitting still like everyone else. So the, the light turns green and he comes up in front of me and kind of pulls down. And then at, we've only moved another couple feet and then we stop again. He rolls down his window and he's hanging his head out, looking back at me, screaming, yelling, all the gestures that come along with anger. And I'm just like, what is going on right here? This guy's going like he's lost it. Well, the light then on the, free, the bridge freeway turns green. The car in front of him begins to go. So he begins to go, but he still has his head out the window yelling at me. So what's happening in this stop, go, stop, go, stop, go? It's the car that started to go in front of him stopped. And he rear ends the guy while hanging his head out yelling at me. Well, at this point, he's pulled up far enough that I can go on and get on the freeway like I'm already going to do. So I don't know what happened to the rest of the story. Some of you good Samaritans would have got out and said, sir, it's okay. But for some reason, I was the target of most of this. So I leave. Now, why do I tell you that crazy story? 
Well, we're going to get back to the story and we'll talk a little more about it. But here's what I want us to think about as we talk about anger today. What was going on in that person when he's overwhelmed with anger? What's actually happening there? How does anger affect us? And if that was you in that car that day, I'm sorry. I, I don't know what I did, but I'm still sorry. Anger is a natural emotion. All right, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about temptation. And I told you specifically, temptation is not a sin in itself. Temptation can lead us towards sin, but temptation is a natural part of life. Jesus, we looked at, was tempted, but he didn't sin. Anger is the same way. Anger is a natural emotion. Anger itself is not sin. And and in fact, when we're faced with an imminent threat of some sort, our bodies naturally shift into complex responses to handle the threat. You might have heard the phrase before, the fight or flight response. That's part of what happens when we're angry. We either want to flee out of fear or we want to fight out of anger. And anger is that emotion that we feel when we're driven to fight. And that first spark, that first little wave of anger awakens a portion of our brain which turns on our stress response system. And a chain reaction of hormones begin to flood your body to give you a temporary boost of energy to deal with the situation. All right? But the hormones, all the anger hormones, they actually do more than just boost your energy. Okay? I know you didn't come to science class here today, but you're going to get a little. One of those hormones is called cortisol. Okay? And cortisol uh, does certain things to your body when it begins flooding through. One of the things that it does is it, it decreases serotonin. Serotonin is the happy hormone. Right? That's what we like to feel. Ah, good levels of serotonin. We're happy. But cortisol comes and says, uh-uh. We're not happy anymore. We're pushing that, that, that hormone down. But what it also does is cortisol, as it's flooding your body, actually starts killing neurons in your brain. You never you thought you went a little brain dead when you got angry? You do. <laughs> All right? It starts killing those, those neurons. Now, when that happens, it actually lowers your ability to make good judgments. And it weakens your memory. Which is why sometimes we do stupid things in anger. Because we're not making good judgments. And also sometimes we can't even remember all the details of the argument. All you remember was I was so mad. I don't really know what was said or done. I was just so mad. It's because literally your brain cells are being killed by this. Okay not only that. Prolonged exposure to cortisol and these other hormones or repeated exposure to them causes other issues with our bodies. Listen to this list. You have an increased heart rate, increased blood pressure, increased blood fatty acid levels. You can have frequent headaches and migraines, a decrease in thyroid function, lower bone density, decreased blood flow in our digestive system, a slower metabolism, and increased risk of heart attack and stroke. That's not even the full list. Okay? Now my point is, anger can really mess us up. Okay? It can really mess us up. And not only does anger have negative effects on our physical bodies, but here we learn that it doesn't help our spiritual lives either. All right? That's why James is speaking against it. And think about this. None of us has a testimony that says, 
I feel so much closer to God when I'm angry. Right? Nobody, nobody says that. Or, or when I fly off the handle, God is glorified. Right? It's not it. That's, that's not the way it is. But many of us can say, I sinned when I was angry. Right? And that's an important difference. Anger is not sin, but it's dangerously close. It's dangerously close. That's why Paul in Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry, but do not sin. It's one of the most well-known verses about anger in the Bible. Now, some people see that verse and they just stop reading out of the, after the first two words. Be angry. No, that's not what it says. Be angry and do not sin. But unfortunately, that's what we see illustrated in our world around us right now. Be angry. People are angry. We live in a cultural moment right now of fury and outrage. And, and hey, this is not a political statement. Because on both sides of the political spectrum, we have people that are in an outrage and in a fury. Anger is everywhere. And that wouldn't even be a problem if all of the citizens that the two political parties are governing, if they had their anger under control. Because what would happen if it was only the politicians that were angry? Well, they'd get voted out and all these mellow people would (laughs) come into power. But it's not just politicians and protesters. It is our other national epidemic. Anger is a problem and it's going everywhere and it's, we're seeing it everywhere. People are the opposite of what we see in this scripture here. Instead of being as James describes it, what we see is that people are quick to anger, quick to speak, and slow to listen, which is the flip of, of what he says. And people are being consumed by anger. Now, remember, many of the sins that the Bible confronts in us are things that are embraced by society, but called wicked by God. And even though we look around and we see anger flying everywhere, we have to be careful that we don't say, well, that's just the way it is. And if you know what it's like, you're going to deal with an angry person. You better get angry because it's not going to help anything if you don't. All right, what does the Bible actually say about anger? Here's another couple of verses, and these are just one from Psalms and one from Proverbs. Psalm 37, 8 and 9 says this, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Proverbs 14, 29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. But he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. We each have to choose how we're going to live. And as Christians, if you're a Christian here today, you're a citizen of a different kingdom. So I don't care if the world around you is full of anger and just flying off the handle all the time. You're a citizen of a different kingdom. You have to learn to live differently. You have to choose to live differently. And what we learn in God's kingdom is what James says right here. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We don't want rage. We want righteousness. So James tells us, put the anger away. All right, that's what he says in the next verse. Look at it with me. James 1.21. He says, therefore, 
Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, you might say, oh, well, isn't that a separate verse? Is he done talking about anger? No, he's not. That's actually why the therefore is therefore. What he says is, look, the anger of, God, of man is, does, does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away what he describes here, anger, as filthy, rampant wickedness. But for many of us, we're so used to our sinful anger that we just overlook it. Or we let it slide. Or we put it down like, ah, it's no big deal. In fact, what's even worse is we've, we've come to rely on our anger as a way to get things done. Okay? And that's hard. Uh, think about this. Let's point out the parents here today. Okay? How many of you parents are like, the reason I have to yell at my kids is because they're not going to listen to me if I don't. But boy, as soon as I raise my voice, things happen. So I got to use anger. It's like the most effective method that I have. You tell me I've got to get rid of that? I've got to do it. The kids are all elbowing the parents like, "Mm mm-hmm, I told you, you know. Pastor said, or this one's worse. This one's uglier, honestly. What about spouses? What about those of you who are married that you're like, oh, yeah. Well, you don't understand. He doesn't listen if I don't yell. Or she won't do it if I don't get like really outraged about it. Uh, guys, we can, we can start looking at those things, but we have to understand this isn't what we're called to. I mean, I, I, maybe, I don't know. I, I'm not a, I wasn't in the military at all. I don't know what it's really like. I only know what it's like in the movies. Maybe drill sergeants are the only ones that like have an excuse. <laughs> it's like, this is what they do. They scream and they yell. Get down, give me 20. You know, all that stuff. Maybe that's how they do it, but... But we see it everywhere. And we say that's the way you get it done. This is the way it functions. But just because you've always done it. Or that's how you were taught it. Doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing. Jesus came to earth as a human and gave us a pattern for living. Right? Jesus Christ. It's why we call ourselves Christians. Okay? He is our example for life. And Jesus did not come as an angry drill sergeant. He came as a meek, merciful teacher. And his life was marked by kindness, not anger. Now, I know what you angry people are thinking right now. Angry church people, you're like, oh, wait a minute. I know about Jesus' anger in the Bible. Am I right? Huh? A couple of people thought of that. I know, I know it's there. What about the anger of Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked. Each of the Gospels records Jesus' anger. And we're going to look at uh, two of the the four Gospel accounts of it, starting in in John chapter 2. It'll be here on the screen for you. In John chapter 2, we see an angry incident of Jesus, all right? Here's what it says. John 2, 14. In the temple, he, Jesus found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, don't miss that, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. 
okay? Zeal. Now, that word we don't use a lot, that's passion. That's, there's, there's an energy there with being zealous for something, okay? But here's the question here. This was a, an angry moment for Jesus. Jesus walks into the temple. He sees what's going on there, makes a whip of cords, drives them out, knocks over tables, tells them to get that junk out of here. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. But here's the question. Was Jesus just consumed with anger? Was he out of control angry here at this moment? Well, when we look at another gospel account, we get a little piece of information that you might not have seen before in the Bible, okay? In Mark's account, in Mark chapter 11, we get um, the things that happened just before Jesus comes to the temple, okay? In Mark 11, 11, 11, here's what it says. It says, and he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany, the little town next to Jerusalem, with the twelve. All right, and then it's only four verses later in Mark eleven fifteen that it says, and they came to Jerusalem. But now we know they're coming back to Jerusalem, back into the temple. And look what happens. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them, saying, teaching, sorry, teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now here's the point I want to make here. This wasn't some blow-up moment for Jesus. This wasn't Jesus just walking into the temple, seeing all this, hit with it, overcome with anger, and he just lashes out. No, in fact, what we see here is Jesus comes the night before and sees what's going on. He even takes the night to sleep on it and think about it a little bit. It had to take some time to make a whip of cords, right? So it's not the kind of thing where Jesus is just like, boom, and blows blows his top. Instead, it's an anger And it's true anger, but it's an anger that is still in control. Jesus was angry because people had brought wickedness into a place set apart for righteousness. And those who were supposed to preserve worship for the people, the priests, had allowed it to become corrupt. And instead of being ushered into God's presence, the people were being taken advantage of. And that made Jesus angry And that made him act. And I know you say, but he made a whip to drive them out. What about the whip? Yeah, he did. But before you jump to the conclusion that says he was attacking people with it, recognize that he was attempting to move an entire herd of animals by himself. 2,000 pound oxen, anybody? You're going to move that by saying, go on, Betsy, you know? No, no. He grabs a whip to get the herd moving. So what's the difference between the anger of man versus the anger of God? Well, here we see Jesus being angry, but he did not sin. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, well, what is righteous anger? If James tells me I have to put my anger away, well, what is the time that it's okay to be angry? Should we ever be angry? The answer is yes. We should be angry. Evil, exploitation, oppression, wickedness, and sin. 
These things are worthy of God's wrath. That's what the Bible tells us. Those things make God angry. And these things should make us angry. Well, should we act on that anger? That depends. All right? That depends. Can we respond in a way like Jesus that doesn't return evil for evil? Can we allow ourselves the time to let our body chemistry settle and not add fuel to the fire? Can we hold that righteous flame of anger without dragging us into the flames of sin? A mature Christian has to learn to respond instead of react. That's one of the keys about dealing with our anger. If all we do is we let it all blow up and let it all take off and let us, ourselves just run with it, we're reacting to what's happening. And we can handle our, our anger and process our anger better if we can take a step back and, and respond. All right? That's why the most uh, rudimentary anger management technique of all is to take a deep breath and count to 10. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Before we do whatever we're going to do, right? It's because it's, it's trying to slow down our bodies and slow down our anger response. And when we recognize that our response is going to be the anger of man and not the anger of God, James tells us we got to throw it out. You've got to throw it out. And that also includes the anger that lives below the surface. Because here's the other thing, guys. Some people have an anger that it just, just blows their top. Other people get angry, but it just goes inward. And they hold it down and they, they bring it in. So, so when he says get rid of the anger, the unrighteous anger, it's not just for the explosive type. It also includes resentment and unforgiveness and bitterness. All these things that lead us towards anger. Put it away. Not in your heart. Don't bury it, but into the trash where it belongs. And James says, as, as, the practi as practical as James is, do it. Do it. Obey the word. Obey God and change your life. And that's what he tells us in the next section. Verse 22. Read it with me. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, which means freedom, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now here's why my thoughts went to that driver on Olympic Parkway. is because part of what I saw there was not just a guy going berserk. I saw my own anger in, in him. I recognized my own tendencies when I saw something like that happen. I wasn't happy about the traffic either. <laughs> and I often get fired up about other drivers. And let's face it, guys, it's not righteous anger. <laughs> I do think that if we all learn the law of slower traffic keeping right, the world would be a better place, but that's, that's different. But when I look into the perfect law, the, the Bible, and what it teaches me about this sort of anger, I cannot ignore it in my life. We can't just forget it like the man and the mirror. And the, 
No Michael Jackson quotes here, guys. Come back. Right? We can't ignore it. We can't just look away. Can't forget it. Hearing is not enough. Knowing that we should grow to control our anger does not equal growing to control our anger. Knowing it and growing in it, two different things. And what James tells us to receive the implanted word there in verse 21, it means we have to let it take root and grow. You will know that you're growing by what you are doing. And listen, anger is a big deal for people. It is a big deal. And for some of you who may, anger might be your, your issue, your thing. You might be asking that question, can I change? What if I've always been this way? What if my father before me and his father before him were this way? Look, deep-seated generational sin is still sin. And Jesus came to break bondage and set us free from sin. It can no longer rule over you unless you let it. If you obey and become a doer of the word, James says that there will be a blessing, a blessing in this life as well as in the life to come. And as you let this sin die in your life, you'll find that your entire worldview begins to shift. Okay, and the, this last, the last couple of verses that we look at here as we finish here today, almost feel like he's moving to a whole different topic, but I don't think he is. Because after he says this, after he says, look, you can put this anger away. You can be done with it. You can be free from it. It no longer has to control you. He then goes here into verse 26 and 27 and he says, If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. One of the subtle things about anger, unrighteous anger, is that unrighteous anger is very self-absorbed. Usually the reason we get really, really angry is because somebody or something has done something to us that bothers us. It's not the way I want it to be in my timing, how I want it done. It's all about me and we get this tunnel vision with anger we try to cover it up with all sorts of excuses and justifications and elaborate explanations but most of the time that kind of anger is just plain old selfishness simple as it is why was that guy so worked up on olympic parkway he just wanted to be first that's all i can think of like I said, I don't know that I did anything to make him mad. I think the world made him mad that day. <laughs> the traffic made him mad that way. And he wanted to be first. He didn't want to be slowed down. And, and I don't want you to get distracted here by the words religious or religion in here. Um, they can carry kind of a negative connotation in our modern understanding of those words. But that's not what James is saying here. What he's saying here is he's, he's just using them to describe somebody who's devout and serious about their commitment to God. So he says here, look, if you think you're serious about your walk with God, you think you're a Christian, you think you're trying to live like he tells you to live, but you won't watch your tongue and close your mouth and begin to respond instead of react, he says you're deceiving your own heart. And look how he describes it here. He says, look, if you're really pursuing God, your focus is going to tend to turn outwards. 
toward those in need instead of that self-centeredness. That's where he starts talking about orphans and widows. He says, look, instead of you being so concerned about how you're being transgressed against, you're actually going to start looking, about, looking out at other people. You're going to care about others. You're going to reach out to others. And that care and concern for others produces the righteousness of God. And as our hearts shift and our minds change and we put away the anger that used to pour freely out of our mouths, we begin to live in a way that blesses everyone around us. So, how do we finish here today? Practically, how do we finish? How do we address our anger? Guys, it's not as complicated as you might think. It might feel complicated because it might feel like it's part of your DNA, (laughs) but it's not. It's the same way we deal with any sin in our lives. First off, we confess our sin. We, we begin by calling it what it is, sin. Some of, just, of us just say, it. well, it's just, I'm Irish or whatever it is, you know. We want to blame somebody or something else. That's just the way I am. It's the way I'm wired. Okay, no, better call it what it actually is. It's not your DNA, it's just, it's just sin. And maybe that means confessing that to God. We have the, the, the good verses in the Bible that say, look, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And maybe, though, we even have to confess to others. But before you even confess to others, not only confess, but repent. That's the second thing to do. You confess, it really is sin. And secondly, you repent. What's repenting mean? Just turn away from it. Stop doing it. I know it's your natural response, but turn away from it. And third, pray. Ask God to free you. And empower you. It's what he's in the business of doing. And finally, begin to walk that way. Begin moving away from your old ways and toward the new way of life. And for some of you, the way that you have to practically take a a message like this is you have to go home and talk to the people that you love the most. (laughs) And you need to say, you know what? I've let my anger get the best of me. And I want to try to commit to change. I, I have confessed this to God. I am repenting of this. I want to be uh, moving in the way that God is calling to me. And, but let me say this too. Be patient with yourself. Especially if this is deep down into who you are and the way you've always done things. No sense in getting angry over your anger. <laughs> uh, that's not how it has to be. God will graciously help you grow and change. Lean on him. And the community that he's put around you. Because we are, as the church, we are here for each other. Guess what? You're not the only one in this room that has an anger problem. I promise. And I didn't even take a poll. (laughs) It's because that's how we are as people. And we can come alongside each other and encourage each other to let God transform us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word here today. And Lord, I just pray that we would all, every person in here, would find victory and freedom and life as you transform our lives. And God, I know that, that anger is, is something that uh, is, is so common to us. It's part of our fallenness. It's part of our self-centeredness. It's, it's part of the things that, that need to be dealt with in our hearts and lives and Lord we as we've approached your word today we recognize it as your word and Lord we want to be people that produce your righteousness 
And as I said earlier, we don't want rage. We want righteousness. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would help us on that path, that you would help us in that direction. I pray, God, that you would sanctify my brothers and sisters here in this room, that you would give us the, the, the knowledge that you have freed us from sin, that you have set us free, and that in these areas of anger that we could be people that could put it away and people that embrace the kindness and generosity and mercy that Jesus showed us on this earth while he was here with us. And so Lord, today I just pray by your Holy Spirit that you would meet people where they're at. And if you are here today and you know this is the message for you, I would encourage you to spend the next little while just praying. And I'm gonna pray for you right now as well. Pray and ask God to work a change in your heart. Lord God, you know those who feel that way this morning. You know that those there are those here today that have been beaten up by their anger and have beaten up others with their anger. And I pray that today you would come alongside of them and remind them that they are free because of you. You have freed us from all sin and all unrighteousness. And you have replaced our sin with your righteousness. And that's what we ask for today. And so, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would empower, you would enable, and that you would forgive those that have a heart to deal with this issue here today. We thank you, Lord, for your love for us. We thank you that you are at work in our lives. You did not save us just for heaven. You saved us and are in the process of sanctifying us and transforming us right now every single day. Help us learn to deal with anger in a righteous way and give us freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.